Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Closet Podcast. Today, I have a friend on the show. Aton Ben-Horan is a American music executive and record producer. He is the global vice president of A&R for all of Warner Music Group's labels, including Atlantic Records and Warner Brothers Records. He is also the owner of Plush Recording Studios. He is responsible for many hits with some of the most famous artists that you can think of. He's super talented, a super interesting guy, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Aton, welcome to the closet. I'm so excited to share your story with everyone today. I think you're one of the probably the coolest people I know. I think I'm cooler by association just knowing you. Uh, so I just wanted you to start with letting us know kind of what is your job? I mean, I'm, I've announced you and what you do, but what does that mean um, on a day-to-day basis for those of us who don't know? So uh, I do a few things, all music related. Um, I've been at Warner Music Group for the last 11 years. So right now I'm in the A&R, which is the music department. So at the label, I do everything related to music. So I discover new artists assigned to the record label. I'm in the studio with the artists uh, when they make their albums, guide them through the recording process, um, help find hits for the artists that need hits, uh, and help uh, give notes on existing songs. And every artist kind of has a different set of needs. Some of them uh, are more uh, hands-on. Some of them need more support on the music side. So uh, so at the label, uh, I do everything uh, with the music. Outside of the label, uh, I own a, a management company. So that's it's a little different because on the management side, you're kind of involved with every part of uh, an artist's career. But I manage artists uh, and producers and songwriters. And then I also own a recording studio in uh, Orlando, Florida. So yeah, so the label side is Atlantic Records. The management company is Plush Management uh, mm-hmm. and Plush Recording Studios. And uh, yeah, that's the uh, the quick version. So cool. Cause I always, I always tell my patients, you know, coming to America as a first generation immigrant, we only had five jobs to choose from. <laughs> so I literally growing up, I just knew about doctor, lawyer, pharmacist, engineer, you know, the typical uh, Middle Eastern job descriptions. So whenever I meet someone like you, I, my first question, and we'll get back to all the cool things you do and the artists you're working with, but what my first question is: What did your parents say? Because you come from a Moroccan and Egyptian Jewish Correct. heritage, right? So, Correct. what did your parents say when you they saw you going down this path of music? Were they like, "Okay, just get your MD, but like do this as a hobby"? Like, what was the conversation like? That was exactly it. I mean, they they were always supportive because they they like wanted to support my passion, and it was like a real passion of mine. Um, but they were like, "Music is great, but get a real job." Um, and, uh, yeah, it wasn't until like, I got to a certain point where they started to say, oh, wow, okay, this is real. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it, it was, it was, it's been a journey. I mean, I, I've, I've made all my money off of music related things since 15. I've had no other jobs since 15. It's been all music. Uh, so I had a very long journey in music way before I started at the record label. Um, so, so that's, that's so, so walk of... us through that a little bit, because I, I, I know a little bit about your history, but I think it's super interesting for those that maybe are interested in following a more, you know, creative path. For me, I always say I worked hard, but I knew what my next steps were. But sometimes when you go into a field that's more artistry or for you finding hits, like there is no guarantee of what the next step is going to be. So what did that journey look like? Yeah. So for me, it started. Um, I mean, early on, I was like, 
Uh, I took two years of piano. So it gave me like basics. I wasn't obsessed yet. I was just like kind of something that was like, you know, you do it as a kid, you know, uh, mm-hmm. my parents were like, oh, you take piano. And, and I heard a couple of things that got me excited, but I wasn't like super duper, like this is my career yet. Um, then I was in the school choir. Um, so I got, a, I got, a, I was very young. Like, I think I was like 13. So I got, I get, I got a head start on hearing harmonies early on. Uh, and I was always like, there was always like a incredible thing. And you don't really realize that you can make a living out of it until you get to, to kind of know more about it. And then, um, and then the, the next thing, the first, the thing that got me like obsessed with music was at 15, I heard Green Day for the first time. And that was it. Um, I picked up the guitar. I learned how to play like, every song on their uh, dookie album until mm-hmm. like, my fingers were almost bleeding um and then the rest of the guys i used to play ice hockey at the time and the rest of the guys on my team we were all neighbors we all like picked up an instrument and started a band um so i, I did like that band journey was like a uh, a very long uh story i could write a book about one day just that uh, chapter but but it was uh yeah so it i did like six years of like touring like we did like simple plan wow. jimmy world warp tour nine inch nails like crazy things and wow. like amazing stories mm-hmm. um and then um there was a there was kind of a point when i was 17 or 18 i, I got exposed to dance music early on and i was like sneaking out of the house going to raves and mm-hmm. most people are like, oh, he's going to raves in the middle of the night. He's probably addicted to drugs. And that wasn't, I was addicted to the music. I became obsessed with the music. Uh, so I bought turntables at the time and uh, and a drum machine. I learned how to produce. And uh, I, I ended up, that was a whole other journey. So I, I was DJing, I was producing. Uh, I ended up, uh, I started, when I got to college in Orlando, uh, I started um, doing events downtown. And I, I was DJing at the radio station. I was DJing weekly. I was, uh, um, and then my band had taken a break and then we get back together. So I was like DJing, producing. Uh, and then I was, uh, because of the events I was throwing downtown, the other venues were like, wow, he's doing a great job promoting. Can you promote mm-hmm. for us as well? And there, mm-hmm. was no internet, there was no internet back then. So it was like, I had a uh, street team putting flyers and passing out flyers. And even myself, I would go in the middle of the night and flyer every car. So then the other venues were like, he's doing a great job. Can you promote for us? So then mm-hmm. I started a promotional company. Um, and I was the regional manager of promotions for Ultra Music Festival. And then I ended up DJing at Ultra like four years in a row as well. And uh, But that was a whole journey um, in that world. And then I ended up, as a, so I was doing like everything I could to survive off of music because one thing wasn't enough. So I just like hustled any way I can to make a living off of music. Um, and then what, what ended up happening is I was writing, I was always, on, I, I was, always like obsessed with like pop like just hits uh so i was writing songs that didn't fit the band or the dj world and i started uh in 2006 i sold uh my first song to atlantic records ironically which is that's part that's where i work now it's under warner music group um and then um and then in 2007 i had money saved up um i maxed out like all my Credit cards took a loan also and bought what became the most popular recording studio in Orlando where I was for college. And then when I when I was uh when the studio uh the, the goal with the studio wasn't just to rent it out, it was like I can use it for other stuff and leverage it. So whenever it wasn't booked, uh, I would either be writing or producing a song in there, or I started signing local producers and managing them. Uh, and then I signed my first artist uh to a management and uh, I wrote and produced a song and developed her and there was like a huge bidding war. I got it because it went super viral. 
I got a big. Who was that, Aton? It was it was a young artist at the time named Avery. She never became a household name, but it was like a a big moment on, on social media. So there was a huge bidding war, mm-hmm. and um, I got a big check from Universal. Uh, moved to LA, and then hired someone to run the studio back home. And then uh, eight months after I got to LA, I took the job uh, at uh, Warner Music Group. So, and then my my first wow. my first hit as an A and R, which is what we spoke about earlier. That's the music department. It stands for artist and repertoire. It's the the, the artist and the music. So my my first hit um, as an A and R at the label was "Talk Dirty to Me" by Jason Derulo, and then which had, we all know. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I had a slew of hits. Uh, thank God after that, and I've been at the company for uh, eleven years now. So it's been a crazy crazy journey. Oh my goodness. So what was the day job? What was the real job while you were getting things going that your parents wanted you to do? Um, well, in the beginning, before everything, they were like, you know, they, they they wanted to give me also a work ethic and show me what it's like to work. So they they just kind of forced me, like even younger, but, but even before 15, they forced me to like, I, I was... I did like filing at a dentist's uh, uh, office, like, and then I, I I worked at a. They had a friend that owned like a a, a, a auto body like a shop, so I was I was doing uh, helping there, and then I was helping with like a. I managed like a. Uh, I helped run a like a tattoo store, like 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 a tattoo <laughs> parlor, like like there was like all these random stuff. Yeah. Um. Like I, I was doing like handyman work and painting just to get like the work ethic, but then once once I found music, like that became everything for me. Um, yeah. No, I think I hear like uh, you know whether you're becoming a doctor or whether you be you're, whatever you're becoming. Like I think the messaging that I keep hearing is that sometimes you have to do stuff that you don't necessarily enjoy doing, but you're getting your hands dirty. You're getting that experience. You were on, you know, the promoter side, you were on the music creating side, you were in the mixing side as a DJ, you were actually in a band yourself. So it's kind of like understanding all the bits and pieces and the parts, not thinking anything is too much or too little, just getting what needed to get done, done. And that's like a running theme I see in a lot of my friends who are like super successful is that you know, you'll find me vacuuming my own office. You'll find me on the weekend going in and literally like Marie Kondoing and decorating because you just do what needs to get done in order to make things work and in order to make yourself successful if you have that grit and that work ethic, which, which obviously your parents instilled in you. So I want I want you to take me a little bit now into um, your childhood and your Judaism. I know you have a, a story to tell. You're, we obviously met through some of the activism work. I think the first time I met you was at Kathy Heller's house when she had a Shabbat dinner for like influencers. Um, and I was like, this, I was like, this guy's so cool. We did you know, and so we, that's like the first time. And as I've gotten to know you, I think you're super inspiring and awesome. So I, I do want you to share your story of how uh, Judaism mixes in to sort of your not daily but almost your motivation how you think about things and then I do want to get into the music world and kind of how you see um anti-semitism in the music world which bubbled up with the Kanye stuff and Roger Waters and all of that stuff most recently um so why don't you take us kind of through what Judaism means to you um in your life and kind of how it shaped you and your career uh but also I I do want to address all the stuff we've been seeing going on as of as of late yeah so 
uh, well, my, well, my my we said earlier, my father's Moroccan, my mom's Egyptian, so Moroccan Egyptian heritage. Um, at the time when they were around six or seven years old, they exiled all the Jews from those territories. So uh, my mom's family, for example, had like tons of businesses, tons of real estate. They were like set, you know, just built a, an empire in Egypt and they got exiled and had to leave with nothing, like zero, like everything was gone. So they had to move from and just start from scratch in Israel. What uh, year was that, Eitan? Um Good question. I could find out. That's that's a mom and dad question, but but it was no. You know why I'm thinking about that? Like I just um was in Utah with one of my plastic surgeon friends, and they live in um like between Milan and Switzerland, and he was telling me how yes, he's showing me his property. He's like, this land has been in our family for generations, and I'm like, it's amazing that no Jew can point to a land and say this has been in my family for generations, because everywhere that we've been, we've been exiled. So hearing okay. you say that is just another example of how that you know land is not what we can hold on to it's really our community and our religion and our education is what is in our suitcase that we carry with us everywhere uh, absolutely um and it, it's just wild so they, they they both so they moved to israel they had to start from scratch um and you know obviously later in life they would meet uh and i actually so they moved to miami right before i was born so i'd never lived in israel uh, but I grew up, you know, going to Israel um, to visit. I have a ton of uh, family there um, and now a lot of friends uh, as well as business affiliates now. But but growing up, I was just lots of family, amazing, incredible memories. Um, and, uh, you know, we were traditional. So I would do like a Shabbat dinner every Friday with the family. But then I would go out with my friends after Shabbat dinner. Same. Uh, yeah, the 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 kitchen was kosher, but then outside of the kitchen, like on the on the way back from like soccer practice, like we would stop for like fast food at like a random. Same. So, Same. so it, it was uh, so that was kind of uh the you know growing up. That's and and you know Friday nights sometimes I would go with my dad to to a shul, um, but but um, but it wasn't like a you know really the high holidays and you know just the the basics, um and uh. You know, later in life, um, which what's interesting is my sibling. I'm, I'm the I'm one of four siblings. Everybody kind of like move, my sister moves away to college. She on her own becomes religious, like not related to anything. And I like found it, you know, going uh, and doing her own research, um, and then becomes religious, gets married. My other sister, same thing, um, moves away to college, becomes religious out there, gets married. Um, my brother. Um, uh, ends up also like he he was in like you know uh three bands like punk rock with like the spikes and all that and then like he he has a dream something to do with like the letters of his name and he's like i want to study torah and then and wow. then moves, moves to israel then goes to baltimore and now he's a rabbi so it, it's uh wow. yeah so me and my dad are the most i would say laxed when it comes to like uh the like we're, we're the you know we're the least religious but i guess it depends how you define a religious person right like uh, i i um the you know I, i'll drive on shabbat um i'll i do i do more than the average jew but i drive on shabbat um i use my phone on shabbat um but i'm very passionate about god and spirituality like I, I, every everything i do you know everything that happens in life is is uh i think of god with every step there's a reason we're on this call right now you know so it, it's uh um so that so to me i'm i'm very uh, spiritual 
Um, but but somebody in the religious world in Judaism would consider me non-religious because I drive on Shabbat. But I, I actually um, later in life uh, I also had a very uh, special journey with Judaism, which we could talk about. Uh, I don't know how much time we have. That's a whole other story. Um, we have time. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but that's kind of the beautiful thing is everyone in my family, like we all respect each other. Like they'll never tell me uh, why are you using your phone? It's Shabbat. Like never, ever, ever. Um, and I'll never tell them, hey, you guys are taking this Judaism thing too far. Like I, I love that. I think it's amazing that they do that. It's a huge dedication and it's beautiful to watch them do that. Um, and uh, and my mom's like, like Eitan, like, I don't know what that means, but it means like you're the most uh, religious, you know, in, in her own, but even though she's being nice. But but the point is they never make me feel um, uh, bad about, you know, what I do or I don't do. And, and that's how I think that's the proper way of how um judaism should be because the moment it, be, it becomes forced it actually drives people away from religion so and people, people have, to, have to have their own relationship with god you know and, and and who you are as a person is the most important thing there's nothing more important than that I, I always say if i if i succeed uh and i change as a person then in my eyes i failed my mission mm-hmm. because because what's more important than who you are as a person i don't care how much money or success you have if you change uh who you are as a person and that that's that's everything that that's your that, that and not only that it's also your legacy more so than how much money you made right it's like how, how you can be remembered it's so funny that you use the word legacy because i feel like um when covid happened and we were shut down and i was sitting in my you know home office situation over there and i was just looking out my window of my house and i was like what am i doing why am i running so fast like what's the purpose what's my why and the word i kept coming back to was legacy and you know what am i going to leave behind for my kids what what kind of world am i going to leave behind for my kids and i think we share that in common with how we're driven in our core values absolutely so important yeah so i want you to tell us about your um revelation that sort of your pact with uh god and which which led to your success oh yeah so well, this is this is a whole other story so so this is uh so I, I would, we would go to Israel, you know, probably every year, every other year. And I remember I was, um, I had been doing music from, since 15. I was 26 at the time. And it was like, I had a lot of successes, but I still didn't have like stability financially. It was like up and down. Like there was just literally no, you can't plan anything like that. It's hard to plan. So I remember I just started to get, even though I had a lot of successes, it was like one month I would make great money. The next month I made no money. So it was like up and down. I was like, how am I going to raise a family like this? It was just very stressful. And I was just thinking at the time, I was just getting stressed because even though I had done things that people live their whole life, they don't get to do those things that it was, it was not paying the bills consistently. So I was like, it just started to get really stressed. Um, and uh, we so we went on this trip to Israel around the time that that all those thoughts were going through my head. We went on this trip to Israel. And I remember in the first 24 hours, I saw a, a couple of things in Jerusalem and different things that just got me thinking more about religion in general. And um and that night I was uh I was at my uncle's house in Tel Aviv and I had I was working on this song and I, I had my headphones on, I was producing all night like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I'm still working on this song. 4 a.m. I'm working on the same song. Um, and then randomly, I, I, my uncle wakes up, I think, to get water or something. He wakes up, and then um, we just start talking 
we had this like in he's a very spiritual person he has an amazing energy um and he we just start talking about uh just judaism uh and that night he starts telling me he's like if you take on one mitzvah what's a mitzvah mm-hmm. people that don't understand what, uh not everybody knows what mitzvah is but it's like a good deed if you take on one mitzvah um and you never miss it no matter what it like holds a lot of weight so I didn't think much of it, but you know that that night uh, I made a, a promise. Uh, well, he he suggested there's, there's a there's a mitzvah that you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat bread. Mm-hmm. Uh, do that sometimes on Shabbat dinner, but really you're supposed to do it every time you eat you eat bread. You're supposed to wash your hands before. So I made a promise that th- that th- that night I'm like to him to God from now on I'm not missing one netilat yadayim not like not one washing before bread, mm-hmm. um, and uh, now. Call it a coincidence, call it whatever you want. So from from 15 to 26, I had like no stability. Uh, when I went on that trip to Israel, it was a two-week trip. I had zero contacts in music in Israel. By the end of that trip, I wrote uh, two songs for Shirin Maimon at the time, who was like one of the, the biggest artists in the country. Um, I land back home and I sell my first song to Atlantic. And then this crazy series of events happens and I end up buying what becomes the biggest recording studio in Orlando. And it was like one thing after the next, after the next, after the next, like I, I, I like my band was on tour. We, we would stop at like McDonald's and I would wash before bread. I would stick a water bottle out the window of the, the van. And like, I, so to, to this day, I've not missed one washing before bread and people could call it a coincidence, you know, and now thank God I'm, you know, the executive vice president of one of the biggest record labels in the world uh, on the music side. Um, but it, it's just to go back and think of that. Um, some people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, but you worked hard and this and that. But to me, yes, like I worked hard. And and but but um, I'm a believer that God, you know, is responsible for for everything. And and uh, it's our job to, to work hard. But like uh, to me, it's not a coincidence. Uh, I think it's a different feeling that, again, I relate to. It's almost like you feel like God is the wind behind your back. Like, yes, we both work hard. A lot of people work hard, but it's a different feeling when you when you feel seen by God and you feel like there's like a wind behind you, like things just are falling into place in a way that almost would be impossible. Um, I, I share the same sensation sometimes it's it's uh no it's powerful and i think it also gives uh meaning to 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 life right it, it's uh th- there's there's a reason we're here and it's not just to make money exactly so you were saying earlier that there's kind of like a different story that you wanted to share about like judaism in your life now do you want to delve into that well, well yeah the way we, we the way we met is through the israel activism and and you know i was always a um and by the way, you do incredible work and thank you for everything that you do because you. you're an amazing person. You're, you're hyping me up, but I got to hype you up. You're incredible. Um, so yeah, you're you're a rock star. Uh, so for me, uh, I was always passionate about Israel, but I, I was never really an activist. Um, and, you know, part of my job is to to know what's happening. Like it's, to, it's to know pop culture. So um, by default, I'm just seeing more stuff than the average person on social media, in, in pop culture. Um, and I just started to notice that um, it, it was like every, every, I don't know if you want to hear specific stories, but, but there, was, there was basically like, I started to notice any one of my artists, if they mention the word Israel, if they take a picture in Israel, if they announce a show in Israel, 
it doesn't matter if they, all the other countries, they can announce a show in any other country. They could take a picture in any other country. It doesn't matter if it's like the most brutal regime or what's going on. or if they're. But when it comes to Israel, anytime they mention Israel, mm -hmm. they get bombarded with like crazy amounts of like hate and 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 uh and to be honest like a lot of it is also i noticed it, it's a lot of like it's some of it's real people that are just not informed some of it's yeah. people that are just simply anti-semitic and a lot of it is also fake accounts like bots and it, it's like actually government funded like a friend of mine did the research on one of the cases it was a big artist that canceled their show um and a friend of mine did the research and, and why did she cancel the show it's because of the comments on social media and my friend did the research on that case, and ninety percent of the comments came from two IP addresses in like Qatar. So, so it, it's literally like very strategic, very uh, and it's government funded. Some of it, and some of it is 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 just. Uh, but but it was a lot of a lot of. Uh, and as as a kid, to me, it's not. It wasn't just my artist. It was like, you have, um, thousands of young people, young young kids that get their information from social media. That's that's their news. Right. So as a kid, if you're reading, you know, shame on you, Israel's killing babies and it has 800 likes, you're going to click like and you think you're standing up for a good cause. You don't even know you you don't even know what's happening out there. And the reality is, um, well, well, I have a whole other thing to say about what's really going on in Israel. It's a whole other conversation because the reality is the Palestinians that live in Israel get have more rights and get better treatment than they do anywhere in any other the, Arab country, yeah. In, in any other country. And, and the fu the funniest thing, one of my favorite parts about going to Israel is to see the coexistence between the Palestinians and the Israelis. It's one of my favorite. Like, like last time I went, I actually made friends with a couple of Palestinians. Um, and we, we exchanged phone numbers and, and we 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 it's like that's the that's what actually leads to peace, you know, is 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 the is the coexistence and having you know that the you know, obviously there's definitely um people on both sides that like you know have you know uh st strong opinions and don't you know are doing what what's what what kind of deters from the peace thing but but uh but really to 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 just uh cancel people over Israel or to try to cancel them or make them feel ashamed of it is like horrific so for me what made me uh, become an activist is when i noticed the severity and I have specific examples, but the severity of how bad it was, and it uh, and it just made me say, this is not like, oh, I love Israel. Let me just help out and do some some work because you know it's a nice like cause. It is like when you really know, because I know I see what's happening. When you really see what's happening, you start to notice this is not a choice. This is like it, it it's a survival. Like my survival kicked in because because it's not just harmful to Israel. It's harmful harmful to Jews all over the world because all these these like false information and like it's just because israel is also you know it, it's yes the government has its own thing and you can disagree with the policies but it's also like a representation you know it's it's the only jewish country in the world so it's impossible not to link the two so so people say bad things about israel they, they everybody re, you know relates the same thing to jewish people so mm -hmm. it, it's impossible not to to link the two even in the flag of israel there's a jewish star so it, it's uh there, there's no way to unlink. You can unlink the government and say, yeah, well, yeah, we don't agree with some of the policies, but you know, for for people to, there, there's so many, all the lies about a, like apartheid and genocide. All the, it, it's that right there is is just causing so much damage for both sides. Mm -hmm. I I always say actually, I think if if you're pro Palestinian, you should actually be pro Israel, 
because yeah, the they get the best treatment there. there and they're like they you know when yeah. they get jobs um the palestinians get jobs in israel they come over they're kissing the ground because they get fair treatment and pay whereas if they're working on the palestinian run side you know they won't get paid they're getting underpaid um so yeah i mean they're they're very grateful so all this bds stuff also the boycotting you're actually hurting the palestinian workers i remember when the whole ben and jerry's thing happened and ben and jerry's wanted to pull out of israel the workers that were working in that factory were palestinian so you're actually hurting their families yeah that's the soda the soda stream too the soda stream was a big one that there was like it was 75 percent palestinians working at that soda stream factory and they they uh shut it down because of all the hate and you know 75% like all those like hundreds of palestinians lost their jobs it's sad it's terrible so that's actually to me that that harms you know both sides you know it's not just um you know standing up for israelis it's both you know we got we got to be fair to both sides um and that right there is just like um but, but you know people think sometimes if they're not informed the best thing I think is people to go actually see themselves. Like go see yourself. I go wish yourself. people could. A lot of people. Yeah. Will, yeah will don't know. even go. Don't even go on an organized tour. Just go yourself and just go walk around and see really what's happening over there, and then make your own judgment. You know, one thing it's it's funny. Like there's every street sign, is it, it's written in Hebrew, English, and Arabic. Um, if you are a student, um, in the United States and you don't speak any English and you came from another country. Um, you're forced to learn in English. Israel is the only country the the there's schools that are in Arabic and the the, the credit is just the same. So the the, the Palestinians or all the, the the Muslims that live in Israel they have they can go to school in their native language. So it, there's there's so many. That's just the beginning. I mean, there's so many things uh, that you can that you can talk about. But but uh, but yeah. For, but for me it was uh, yeah I, that kind of. When I saw the severity of how bad the misinformation was, um, that's when I, I started becoming just really active in that space um, because it it it's just I, I just to me that there was it was it's survival. Period. Yeah, no, that's a good way of putting it. I always say when the stuff started happening in Israel, and I saw similarly my colleagues lying, it kicked in to like a guttural thing, and I call it like a core value. Like I was posting eight and a half hours a day, but when the stuff started happening in Iran, even though I lived in Iran. It wasn't the same because I didn't know if they had my back, you know, like if you drop, take me and like drop me in Israel and something's happening to me, I know people will come to my rescue. If you did the same thing to me in Iran, like what would what would happen now? Yeah, some people would, some people might not. So for me, I think the survival thing is a really good point. And that kind of explains maybe why I was so passionately, fervently, detrimentally to my health, spending time on social media, defending Israel and fighting anti-Semitism. Whereas it wasn't the same, you know, with the whole thing, everything that's happening in Iran, which is interesting. So in your work, I mean, I know in the music industry, um, people try to dissuade people in this whole BDS movement. They try to dissuade the bands and the famous artists from going to Israel and performing. What can we do to, you know, help kind of that not happen, help convince these artists that they should perform in Israel and that it is a cool place and it's not just like the desert. Yeah, I think I think everybody kind of has a different role to play based on who you are and what you do. I think if you're just an average person on social media, I think it's about, you know, um, going out of your way and leaving just positive comments and supporting 
um, because you're never going to get rid of the bad comments. But if you can support and leave good comments and make people feel um, embraced when they post about Israel, I think the more of us that do that, I think that that's a important thing because you don't want to, you don't want to be drowned out by all the negative comments, even if they're bots, you know, because a lot of them are bots. Um, I think, you know, and in person, everybody kind of can find their own ways. Like for me, like it was a story with like, I was in the studio with uh flow rider. Remember that artist back, back in the day? And, and he, I do. Yeah. So we worked together for many years, amazing person, amazing artist. Um, and, uh, Israel came up, um, and, uh, I feel like I forgot how he came, but I think he announced the show. He was like, I'm going to Dubai. I'm going to here. I'm going to there. I'm like, are you going to Israel? He's like, oh, Israel. He's like, hell no. Nah. I'm like, why? What happened? He's like, he's like, man, like they, I was like, well, you think it's like, like a desert with like, you know, terrorists. He's, he, he, he's like, he's like, yeah, I just heard it's dangerous. I'm like, no, man, you don't understand. Like, like, you know, uh, Tel Aviv is like New York. You get like sushi at like four and three in the morning. You can, you know, the nightlife is incredible. The food's incredible. The beaches. He's like, really? And then, and then somebody else chimed in. Oh, you've never been to Israel. You should go to Jerusalem and see where Jesus walked. And he's like, and then he's like, man, I got to go to Israel. And then a few months later, he booked a show in Israel and it was an incredible show. It was, it was, you know, I was there to, to witness it. It was, it was like, you know, 15,000 people of all, you know, races and religions. And it was just like the, uh, incredible energy uh, I remember he got off that stage and he was just like wow it was, it was awesome. amazing. And, then, and then he uh, he posted a picture um, in in Jerusalem uh, this is actually the very first incident I noticed and this is what he posted a picture um, from uh, in, in Jerusalem and he said I'm in Jerusalem Israel where Jesus walked this has been such an incredible experience and then that's when I started noticing all these people like commenting, it's not Israel, it's Palestine, shame on you, how dare you, this, that, like, don't you know, they're killing babies, all this stuff. And then I started to see all these comments. I'm like, wait a minute, he just had this incredible time. He's having the best time of his life. And now he's being shamed, you know, put to shame for it. And then and I noticed the the, so, the social media person uh, took out the word Israel from the post. It just He just left Jerusalem on there. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm texting all of my friends at like four in the morning. Hey, if anybody sees this, please leave some love for Flo because this guy's getting attacked for, for literally doing nothing. Um, and it was like, but, but that was one of the first uh, examples that happened. And then there was just some way more, um, like a lot. And it's funny because I noticed even deep in those Flo Rider comments, somebody, somebody, I see a comment that says, great job, everyone. You know, make sure you you also tag you know this person and that person and that like like it was very organized it wasn't like it wasn't his fans that were commenting that stuff it was it was organized like they find anything from israel they see that it's tagged in that region and they just go after it and and if it's an artist or an influencer or a you know a celebrity it's just like so it's not even his real fans they're commenting that stuff that that's it so it's just people that are looking to divide you know wow so yeah. get, like along the same lines, Aton, I see all the stuff happening, you know, with Kanye these days and stuff like that. What's your take on that? Like, what do us allies, sane people, um, what do you think is uh, the right way to sort of um, approach this new, not, not, it's not new anti-Semitism, but like open anti-Semitism in the music world? You know, throughout my music career, I had such a, I worked so hard um 
uh, to, to get to where I am and struggled for so many years. Uh, and one of the most offensive things someone said to me once is like, oh, you're Jewish. Of course, you're successful in music. And I was like, if only you knew how many years I put into this and how hard it was and how I didn't have stability for the majority of my career until I was 30. I had no stability in my life. Uh, I worked so hard to get here. No one in my family was in the music industry. So I didn't get anything handed to me. Um, even in the music industry, nobody hired me because of like of my Judaism. It was it was literally like I really had to prove even when I got my job at Warner Music Group, it was like it was a consultancy. It wasn't like I didn't get hired on the spot. I had to prove myself. Right. And and and, and I almost didn't make it through that consultancy at one point. Like I, I worked so hard to get to get to where I am. So when yeah for somebody to say um oh you're Jewish of course you you're you're killing it in music or in the entertainment industry that to me is the most offensive thing ever um especially like my journeys you know everybody's got their own journey in entertainment and music and what they succeeded in but I've, in my specific case I worked you know and put so much at risk uh I put my I, I risked my life to get here I really did um and uh yeah so so that to me is, is just just one example of, of something that, that I come across. Um, but, but yeah, that, that is, uh, it was a very, it was, it was so hurtful, uh, because I was such a big fan of, of Kanye as an artist and his music. So I want to ask you a question in the music industry. Do you think there's, I mean, obviously we have hope because, you know, we're obviously fighting, but do you see it moving in a, in a upward trajectory in a positive trajectory with regards to how Jews are viewed in the music industry? Or do you think it's still kind of spiraling down? Um, I think you got everyone making their own opinions and, you know, I don't know that there's a, a general thing that's happening or not. I just know that, you know, in general with with uh um anti-semitism it's getting worse and worse and worse uh, and on in everywhere not just in music i mean everywhere um but yeah it, it's 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 definitely you know i never in my life thought that i would live to see any of this i'm I'm shocked because you hear growing up you hear, you hear about the holocaust and you know i i actually went on a trip called the march of the living which is a it's a when you're 18 it's it's a some people go on birthright which is like a free trip to israel for jewish kids the other there's another uh, trip where you do like one week in israel and then you go actually sorry first you do one for opposite first you do one week in poland and you go see where the holocaust happened firsthand you go you go actually to the concentration camps you see everything um which is a very very intense trip especially as a kid it's a very very emotional thing to see and um so to go from that then you go a week into after you see that you go to israel for a week and you it just shows you the contrast and, and you have such an appreciation for israel and that we have you know that as our home um it's like a, a, a keeps you know that's like our safety um but 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 yeah so so for me that was just like early on like a very uh uh powerful thing to experience um funny actually i have a whole other music story with that trip as well wow well in the interest of time um we've been going for like 15 minutes and i love it but um Etan, it's been amazing having you on and 
I'm so inspired by your work ethic, your creativity, your um, ability to just pump out hit after hit, but also I'm impressed by your purpose beyond just a job and beyond just your own passion and living in a very safe, you know, successful space that you've obviously earned. I'm just inspired by people, I think, that step outside their comfort zone and their comfy life and start putting themselves courageously in a position um, to really affect change uh, on a much larger um, basis. And that's what you've done, not just in the music world, on social media, um, with all of your work, inspiring others to speak up and, um, you know, do the same. So thank you for being on and I wish you much more continued success. Can't wait to see where uh, you your next journey takes you. You guys, if you follow Aton on social media, you'll see he is just um, a real taste maker, change maker in the music world. And we are so blessed to have heard from you today. So thank you so much. Thank you for the kind words and thank you for having me. And I could say a lot of the same things about you. You're an incredible human and an incredible uh, uh, soldier. Um, and thank you for all the amazing, amazing work that you do. Awesome. Thanks, Aton. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to my show and rate it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you're listening. And make sure you follow me on social media. See you next time.